You are listening to Let's Be Honest with your host, Just Jonda. Everybody and welcome to a special jump in it right into the deep end of the mess, messy Bravo Housewives Tuesday edition of Let's Be Honest here with your host, your bestie in your head, Just Jonda. I had so much stuff, I didn't even want to wait. I figured I would give these housewives their own night there are there is stuff breaking all over the place um the erica jane mess will get his own episode i may touch on that towards the end but tonight we are going to talk about the latest with kenya moore from the real housewives of housewives of atlanta another real housewives of atlanta alum kim zolziak and her latest venture and of course a housewife's episode of messiness would not be complete without those girls from the real housewives of Salt Lake City. And in this case, our head girl, at least in criminal court right now, Jen Shaw. There's a little minor thing with Mary Crosby, and I'll mention, I'll touch on that as well. And a late breaking update on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. For those who listened to yesterday's I'm Back episode, then you know I talked about the fact that we were going to do a deep dive into those matters. And we still are because just because he resigned, well, cat's out of the bag on that one, just because he resigned, it doesn't mean that these matters go away, especially if any of the women proceed with their allegations civilly. We do know that at least one has uh, has pursued or is attempting to pursue some type of criminal case, but certainly it will be very telling uh, as to whether or not any of these individuals proceed civilly, because if they don't, I do think that that's going to say a lot about the allegations from some individuals, Mr. Cuomo included, that this was more politically motivated than any sense of justice as it relates to the um, any type of alleged sexual misconduct. So let's put that on the shelf and we're going to come back to it first. We are going to start out with the mess and the case, the, the situation that is simplest. Let's start with Ms. Kenya Summer Moore, Ms., former Miss USA. I believe it was 1993, as a matter of fact. And her ongoing situation with her estranged husband, Mark Daly. As previously reported here and pretty much everywhere, and and Kenya's been pretty forthcoming as well, she and Mark Daly have been separated for some time. Now, there has been a bit of back and forth. It's fairly obvious 
to anyone that Kenya especially wanted her marriage to work. However you may feel about the persona that she displays on the show, this if there's nothing else that you don't know is that she definitely wanted the fairy tale. She wanted the husband, she wanted the child, and it appears she was hit by a love bomb and in 2017 married Mr. Mark Daly, a restaurateur from New York, or at least his restaurants are in New York. They married in a tropical ceremony and people talk all kinds of smack. Oh, did they get married? Didn't they get married? We know they got married. If they didn't get married, you wouldn't be filing for divorce. So not even going to get into that nonsense. At any rate, they got married. And in fact, it is pretty well established that that marriage or the actual act of getting married in the manner in which she did it, going away, not allowing Bravo cameras and attempting to at least keep some part of her life private was basically the death knell for her on the show. And she subsequently lost her job course, since the show had been failing in ratings for years, it did not take very long for Bravo to bring her back. She came back at a substantially reduced salary, sort of friend of the show. And then of course, by this season, she's back full time, still not making what she once made, but certainly a substantial salary somewhere in the area of about $500,000. So uh, as we know, especially if you're a housewife watch, housewives watcher and Roja in particular, you know that she is back on the show and we have watched the rather unfortunate messiness going back and forth between her and Mr. Daly. None of it making him look very good for sure. But all of that seems to be coming to his inevitable conclusion. Uh, news outlets have released that Kenya Moore filed for divorce officially. It was actually officially filed in May. And it appears that due to subsequent court filings we're finding out now, I suspect part of that reason, part of the reason for that is because motions filed on Ms. Moore's behalf by her attorneys to seal her uh, documentation uh, because of the fact that she is a public figure and all of that were probably denied because we seem to know way too much about this situation if that motion was granted. And a motion like that uh, would have been granted or denied uh, fairly quickly. I mean, COVID notwithstanding, because when not only when you file for divorce, but if it is a contested divorce, and by the way, I've done uh, family law is one of the areas uh, that I've specialized in uh, during my tenure as an attorney. Um, something like that would be ruled on fairly quickly because there are such rigid deadlines in terms of the other individual's response. And if it's a contested divorce, that response and then you know, you perhaps responding or even a countersuit to that can get rather messy. And the very types of information that anybody would be concerned about getting out 
into the atmosphere are going to come out in those subsequent filings, even if you make your initial filing fairly, you know, boilerplate, pretty, you know, fairly innocuous with just, you know, separation date. We have been separated continuously since set amount of time, you know, giving, you know, I'm domiciled here, you know, the basic stuff to let the court know that you have met the basic requirements for a divorce and you're domiciled in the right place, thus giving the court jurisdiction. You really don't have to go too far in your initial filing, especially if you are not filing for cause like uh, adultery or anything like that, which Kenya Moore is not. I mean, this is a divorce based on separation. In her case, she is saying that they've been separated since September of 2019. Uh, both parties, Miss Moore in particular, has been fairly candid about attempts that they have made to reconcile. We have even seen them, we um, at least together, not necessarily knowing who's staying where, but doing things as a family. Um, Kenya posts pretty frequently uh, little family moments with her daughter. She has a cute little page for her. So we do know that there's they have managed to spend some time together. Now, as we can see, apparently that didn't go anywhere. So the separation date is still listed as September 19th. And I would, uh, I would suppose that that means that despite perhaps discussions about getting back together and maybe an overnight here or there, they never truly resumed residence. And that seems to be fairly consistent with the fact that during the pandemic in particular, uh, Ms. Moore's made clear that she and the baby were in Atlanta and that uh, Mr. Daly was in New York, and I recall her even saying at one point, uh, either on the show or in an interview, that even when she would go to New York to visit him, she wouldn't stay with, she didn't stay at his residence in New York. He would stay in her residence in, um, in Atlanta, but, you know, she has a rather large home. So she is asking for, because I know you all want the meat and potatoes, what is she asking for? Well, she is asking for full custody, uh, full legal and uh, physical custody of the child. So basically primary custody of the child. Mr. Daly, as it relates to the child, is not, he, he's not contesting the physical custody, but he is asking for joint legal custody. In my experience, despite the distance, I still would uh, posit that he is going to get that, at least in the courts that I've been in and I've practiced uh, large, largely in Virginia, that he would get it, it unless the person is proven to be unfit and has truly never had any type of participation in the child's life, it's not common for the court to remove all legal rights because that would mean you would have no say-so whatsoever because legal custody is really all about the decision-making. So uh, 
you know, so that's that's obviously very important um, when we talk about that aspect of it. So we'll see how it we'll see how it plays out. I suspect that they're going to work all this out. One of the other things that was said in there, and I saw some YouTubers clickbait, of course, and and some stuff out there on social media. If you see anything about him, uh, you know, trying to take her house and all of this stuff. It's all clickbait. Uh, she had this home. It is well established. Hell, you could watch the show. She had this home before they got together. The only way that the home would be at play is if he can prove that he contributed substantially to the home. Like, let's say she refied and put it in both of their names because she needed his income to go along with it or the house wasn't finished and he made some substantial contribution to that or home improvements and stuff like that. And even with those things, if it's, um, if his contribution was of an amount that can be definable and she can afford it, then you just pay him back. For, uh, for that kind of stuff. I can't imagine given that he is not fighting to take the child away from her or even it, at least in his initial filing, unless he changes it, even for shared or joint physical custody that he would then try to take the child's home. Because if you're not trying to have the child either all or part of the time, what would be the point in disrupting where that child is going to live most of the time, especially given the distance between the parties, even under the best of circumstances, especially once the child becomes of school age, no matter how much money uh, everybody has, a, a level of stability is needed and running back and forth to New York every other weekend, is not going to happen. He, it would make more sense for him to come to see the child, especially if they can afford it. So, you know, that's obviously just my opinion. Nothing set in stone. The, uh, and the reason why I think some people are kind of putting that out there is because Kenya's filing said that there are some, uh, property matters, real or personal property matters that need to be decided equitably by the court. And his filing basically said the same thing, that there are some real and personal property that needs to be decided equitably by the court. Real property, as we know, is real estate. So whenever you hear somebody saying real property, just think of something planted in the ground like real estate. And personal property, of course, are, you know, your crap that belongs to you, things you can move around. So personal property, not usually a big deal unless we're talking about, you know, they bought some art together or things like that, you know, where there's some real value involved. I think when it comes to these two, they just weren't together very long. And even during the time that they were together, uh, a whole lot happened very quickly that probably impeded their ability to take the time to amass very much. I mean, maybe some investments, et cetera, because, uh, hi PBG, because 
they got married again, 2017. Brooklyn was born in 2018 and less than a year after she was born, they were uh, they were separated, at least according to the filing, September 2019. Hi, PBG. I'm doing great wrapping up the Kenya Moore piece. So that's all we have on Kenya Moore. I've probably talked about it a lot longer than there really is information on it, other than just explaining to you all some of the uh, legal nuances. And again, not to get caught up in the clickbait out there saying Mark's trying to take Kenya's house and all that kind of stuff. Um, his filing was the basic thing that you would file to respond to someone, uh, respond in any simple case. So that's what you do. All right. So that's the Kenya Moore situation. Next, we have, oh, this gets good. You see my hands. You hear that noise? You may not hear it. That's me already like, oh, snap. This is my stuff. You, If you've been a listener, you know when we get into criminal law, that is my jiggy. Okay, so now we are slip, flipping over to Jen Shaw. Now, for those of you who are not aware of Jen Shaw, Jen Shaw is a cast member from the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, PBG. Uh, my primary occupation, let's say during the day when I'm not talking to you all on this podcast, I'm an attorney. And for those who are listening, especially in playback, this is actually a live recording. So while I am talking to you, there's people who uh, came are coming into the room live. So I am talking to you, but interacting a bit with them. Okay, so Jen Shaw for, is from the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Now she made a big splash on the show because she was like basically primary, the character, primary shit starter, you know, she had the fashion, she had the loudness, she had all of that. I mean, basically housewives gold. She was what Bravo looks for when they plan these shows. Lover or hater, she's one of those where you gotta just give her credit and say, lover or hater, she keeps everybody talking. So I'm just, uh, so the uh so that's jen shaw now this is the kicker with this with miss shaw she went on this show and had to know based on the sealed indictment as well as the other people who were charged along with her that there were possibly criminal indictments coming her way and if she didn't think she was going to be indicted there was definitely some mess coming down the pike, especially as it relates to um, her co-defendants. So if you are doing something, and all of this is alleged, if you are allegedly doing something with a group of people and they get busted, then how you don't know that there's a possibility like I wouldn't be able to sleep at night, let alone be on Bravo. And granted, a lot of it was already recorded in relation to when the show aired. So I will grant her that. But on the flip side, if you are doing something illegal, 
and in this case, very illegal because she's charged with offenses that could net 30 years plus, then you probably shouldn't go on television anyway. But as we know, that's not stopped any of these folks before. Hello, Teresa Judice. So let's get into where the case is, because I know a lot of you who our listeners here and other places, you already know about this case, so I'm not going to waste time rehashing it. So this is the latest in the Jen Shaw case, and it is not great, folks. So first of all, I'm going to kind of go in chronological order of some of the things that's been going on, because remember, we took July off. So in July, July 22nd in particular, the Southern District of New York, because this is her cases are in federal court. You know, she's charged with this uh, uh, with offenses related to a telemarketing scam. The Southern District of New York, one of un just everybody knows it is undisputed. One of the toughest jurisdictions to be in, especially as a defendant, because their conviction rate is 97 plus percent. And like most Fed cases, they don't typically bring cases that they can that they lose. They've got the best of the best with every possible resource you can imagine. And then on top of top attorneys, best resources, they still use all that and take their time and painstakingly put cases together for years. Like even in this case, there was time that was put in before the initial indictments were even brought down in 2019, including the sealed ones. And then another two years after that, before the cases, particularly the ones against Jen Shaw and her alleged assistant, Stuart Smith, were unsealed as as of this past, what was it, March, April? March. Okay, so in this July 22nd, in this July 22nd memo, this is a very telling memo. So this, and none of this is great news for Jen Shaw. The uh, the attorneys for the Southern District of New York sent a memo to the Honorable uh, Sydney. I, I, my um, having a little bit of trouble reading it because I printed this earlier. But the bottom line is they sent it to the United States District Judge of the Southern District of New York, who is going to be handling this case. So. According to what that memo says, because it gets into some stuff with some other defendants who are attached to the case. Now, they went so far as to name all of the individuals in it that are involved or allegedly involved in this scheme and to give them tears as it relates to their culpability. Well, our girl Jen Shaw and her alleged assistant Stuart Smith, because remember both of them were arrested together, and Smith was the person we saw on the show with her. Those, uh, they were listed in tier A. In fact, a different tier was set for them. So this is what happened initially. 
the the um, attorneys involved gave them gave the court four tiers tier one two three and four and I'm gonna go into them in a minute and those tiers were based on what they felt everybody's relative culpability was right so if you were tier one then they considered you to have you know some you were one of the main actors well this memo updated those tiers because those tiers were established several months ago this memo updated those tiers and added a special tier tier a which is above tiers one two three and four so imagine if you're doing an outline and you've got an a and then when you and you got an a for your subject and then all the other things go under the little roman numeral roman numeral one two three and four so tier a is jen shaw an individual named carl morris cameron brewster kevin handron Ryan Holt and Stuart Smith. Now, this is why it gets real ugly that Jen Shaw is listed as tier A. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened to somebody in tier one, which is below tier A as well. So this is really going to get us to the heart of why this is really bad news. Um, uh, why this is really bad news. In fact, it is so problematic that Jen Shaw's attorney has, attorneys have made motions to the court twice, both of which have been denied, asking the court to force these the um, federal attorneys to retract this memo. Although, I mean, the genie's already out of the bottle at this point. And even if they were to retract the memo, just because I'm saying it doesn't mean I'm not going to keep treating you that way, right? So there are individuals, especially because, as, as I've mentioned previously and tonight, some of the folks involved were, some of the folks involved were, um, indicted immediately back in 2019 their indictments were never sealed okay so some of them have already gone through the gamut of getting the pile of evidence for their attorneys to review and go oh crap we may be up the proverbial creek without a paddle and started plea negotiations and, and ultimately wrapped those up with guilty pleas and sentencing. Now, not everyone, but some key actors have already done that. And I don't think that there was any accident or let's say no coincidence that some of those things were wrapped up in February of 2021 and then subsequently Jen Shaw and Stewart's indictments came uh, were unsealed and they were picked up in that in March of 2021. That was no accident because ultimately what probably happened is that final sentencing hinged on the rest of the evidence that they gave against the additional actors to wit Jen Shaw and Stuart Smith because if the feds felt like their cases against those two were as tight as the rest of them, then they would have never had sealed indictments in the first place. They would have just rounded all of them up at once. Instead, 
Jen Shaw and Stuart Smith were still allowed to be out and about and, and act and continue to do whatever they were doing to A, continue to give, to give them more rope to hang themselves and B, to give time for the other co-defendants to basically drop a dime. And let's face it, the first ones to talk, get the best deal. You don't have to be an attorney to know that. So let's look at what some of the people who have already been convicted uh, and sentenced have gotten because this unfortunately gives us a fairly good idea of the direction this could be going in for Jen Shah and could be even worse because unlike everybody else, not only is, does she not seem to be pleading right now and going ahead, potentially pushing for trial? But even if she does ultimately break down and plead, she's been pretty vociferous and defiant about this to the point of probably pissing off the federal attorneys in the case, especially given the fact that online and on Instagram, she's been regramming or or even on Twitter retweeting people who are hashtagging free Jen Shaw. So she's not really making herself look very good. And she is still filming for the show. Now I suspect that, well, I don't even know because if you're crazy enough to still do the show, then I really may be way off base in saying that she is being careful about what she's saying because I can't imagine any attorney worth half of their law license that would not be advising this woman within an inch of their lives to not continue to do the show contract or no contract. This is just one of those ones where you're going to have to say, Hey, Bravo, sue me. Worst, worst case scenario, I've got a monetary judgment against me. If I'm facing jail time, I don't give a damn about a monetary judgment against me. That's the least of my freaking problems, whether or not I'm a reality star that has a judgment against me from a, you know, from Bravo or NBC Universal, and I'm potentially blackballed in Hollywood when I'm not an actor anyway. So the fact that she's still on the show, sure, I'm sure she needs money and all of that. But given Bravo's ratings for most of these shows, most they're really being paid by episode and is certainly not as much as they used uh, as most shows would make in their second season when it really gets to when it really starts to take off. And the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, while those of us who watched it, you know, developed an affinity for it and was devoted to it. Its ratings weren't necessarily through the roof. It was in the middle of the week with a bad lead in. So, you know, that's, that's some behind the scenes, you know, lift a fourth wall talk. But anywho, back to these tiers. Under tier A, there are two individuals who have already uh, entered their pleas and been sentenced. Carl Morris, was sentenced to 78 months. For those of you who don't want to do any math, that is six years and four months in prison. Ryan Holt, who is also under tier A with Jen and Stewart, is, was sentenced to 60 months. That is five years. Now, there is an individual under tier one 
Arish Katabachi. And I, I know that I'm saying that wrong, but looks like Arit Katabachi. He was sentenced to 87 months in prison. So if you if you get out your calculators here, 87 months, that would be, I believe that's what, seven years, three months. Christopher Wilson sentenced to 78 months. Again, that's the six years, four months. So these tier one and tier two, these um, tier A and tier one people are getting smashed. And in one of these cases that we've got, tier one a tier one person whose sentence is higher than everybody's now there is someone in tier two who was also sentenced to um actually there are a couple of individuals in tier two and three so those are two people joseph mcgowan and jack kavner who were sentenced to 72 months as well. So that's 72 months, that, that's a number that keeps jumping out. The court is is seems to really like that six year, four months. And I suspect that the reason why the court may like that six years, four months, is because once you factor in uh, good time, good behavior, et cetera, that six years, four months is probably gonna end up high brawn, uh, and, and hi, Mrs. Spook Datery. Um, that six years, four months, once you count that, uh, once you count some good time, is probably going to end up being around five years. So it looks like what the court is leaning to, it leaning towards in this, is wanting to see these people in jail for at least five years. Um, under tier three, there's someone else who got 66 months. So again, you got the five year mark, someone else got 52 months. So yeah, that the court seems to be favoring that. Another reason why I think this, um, this, these sentences are hitting hard is because of who the victims were. Now, as we discussed before, all of these charges way rather heavy in terms of the amount of time that they carry. But these charges and Jen Shaw and Stuart Smith were also charged with these. There is an enhancement attached to one of their charges that adds an enhanced sentence up to five years if the victims were 55 and older or if they were uh, below 18. And those essentially are considered vulnerable populations. Uh, once you get over 55, you know, they're looking at it from the standpoint of you're deliberately targeting seniors. So if a portion and a substantial portion of your alleged victims fall into either of those two categories, then you're looking at a potential enhancement. And that is an issue here because in the initial indictment that I went over with you all a while ago, it did specifically state that 
uh, a substantial number of the victims that they went after were seniors. And it makes sense because given the alleged product or the fake product that was allegedly being sold here, uh, seniors would be a little bit more vulnerable to this notion of an online business. Then you don't know how, how to run it. Then you keep coming back and saying, well, if you buy this, this will help you figure it out. If you buy that, this will help you figure it out. Uh, people much younger than that, even if they would have fallen for the initial part of the scam, which was the business, probably would not have fallen for the meat and potatoes of the scam where the rest of the money grab comes in, which is constantly calling them back to say, oh, well, if you buy this enhancement, it'll work. If you buy that enhancement, it'll work. The reality of it is that people below a certain age range, when you factor in that um, at least 50 and below for sure, have had our hands on some type of computer or online situation, at least for those of us of a certain age, at least by our early 20s, and then just kind of grew up or grew the rest of the way up with the advancements. And then obviously uh, folks, even younger millennials and the like, they were practically born with devices in their hands. So they would be not to say that they can't be fooled initially, but again, the subsequent stuff where they would finish grabbing the rest of these folks money and finish charging up their credit cards by continuing to sell them basically junk not as easy to work with those folks. So it it makes sense from a scam standpoint that they went after who they did. And of course, the government knows that. That's why those people are, that is why they are considered a vulnerable population for scams. And that is exactly why enhancements like the one used in this case have been put into place. So just so you know what it means for Jen Shaw to be tier one, and this is how serious, or tier A, I'm sorry, and, and how serious they feel that she is. I'm going to read this to you directly from this letter. Tier A includes those defendants who were responsible for orchestrating the broader scheme. Um, and then they say, quote, telemarketing scheme, unquote, or scheme, because they're going to keep saying scheme in the Western United States and supplying leads and uh, leads that sustained the sales floors, which were the telemarketing companies in New York and New Jersey. And in particular, Jennifer Shaw and Stuart Smith obtained leads directly from lead sources and provided them to, among others, coaching sales floors operated in Utah and Nevada that were then worked by some of the other individuals involved like Handron and, and Cameron Brewster. And so, and, and there were also some leads in Arizona as well. And these products were called biz ops. So of course, then once they would sell the biz ops products, then 
they would sell the coaching and it would go on and on. Now, tier one, which is only, as we know, one step down, includes defendant who both acted as owner operators of the telemarketing companies in New York and New Jersey and engaged in some particularly egregious conduct in connection with the victims of the telemarketing scheme and the operation of the scheme overall, including by continuing to operate sales floor sales floors even after knowledge of the Ketabachi case, which is yet another thing that Jen Shaw is uh, is considered to have done. In other words, defendants in tier one are the most culpable individual sales floor owners, but are still less culpable in the defendants in tier A. And that's why I think it's so important that you understand what both of those did, because as crappy as what the people in tier one did. And then on top of it, the audacity, right? Which I mentioned earlier with Jen Shaw to continue to do this, even after there were some indictments that came down was like, are you serious? Come on now. So I almost feel like the tier one people, even by them putting this, putting that sentence in there, we're not just charging you for what you did. We're charging you for your freaking audacity. For the fact that you decided, okay, this is going down, but we have got a brass set and we're going to keep on doing it. And even in Jen Shaw's indictment, it is very telling because one of her charges seems to just, it, 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 when they give the date range, because this situation allegedly went on for like seven to 10 years. So it gives the date range going back to, I think like 2011 and to 2019, but one of the charges gives a date range going back from 2011 to mid-2020. So the same thing. You are charged with the audacity, boo-boo. So at any rate, that just tells you how bad it is. So if you want it in layman's terms, long story short, Jen is charged with being one of the OGs as it relates to this, not somebody who made it up because apparently if you're going to keep doing it after other people are arrested, you're not that smart. But I just mean OGs in terms of one of the big dogs she's charged with being somebody who must who is viewed as one of the CEOs of scamming. In this particular case, she is one of the people that did who is charged with doing uh, one of the most egregious acts, which is finding the alleged victims because you can scam all you want, but to pull together the victims and then to provide them to other people as far as the government is concerned, that is one of the most egregious acts here because you actually, you were basically a mill for the individuals who, um, needed for the individuals who then contacted them, pulled in their money, got them wrapped up in it. And then of course you all did whatever you needed to do to divide the money. I'm not 100% clear. I believe that there was 
um, money with Shah front end and back and front end by uh, pulling in the names and basically selling them to the mills. And then of course, on the back end with making sure that uh, if deals were made, then obviously she got some money from that too, because I'm giving you, if I'm giving you the information, then I want some kickback from that as well. Now, next set of bad news for Jen Shaw, her attorneys filed on her behalf motions for everything from saying that she didn't truly understand when she was reading documents that were given to her when she was originally arrested and things that she signed because she had her contacts were dry so that's that's the dry contacts motion she um also just alleged obviously that she didn't understand any of this fairly interesting that now, if her husband was around, he just wasn't in the picture. He just wasn't in any of the photos or maybe he was on the phone because I can't imagine having a husband who is an attorney. Or at least he was. I don't know if his bar license is still active, but Coach Shaw, they talk about uh Coach Shaw and football and they football this and football that, they conveniently never mentioned that he is an attorney and had been an attorney for a number of years. You remember they said on the show his football career didn't work out, so he never did go to the pros or anything like that. Football career didn't work out, or maybe he did for like five minutes. Um, and what they didn't mention is he went to law school, got a law degree, law degree, and then practiced. Then he had, you know, then midlife kicks in. He realizes he wants to uh, live his football fantasies, and of course, went back and was able to get um, on the coaching staff at the university that he played for. That also would account for why a man his age is still is a member of the coaching staff. I believe he's like an offensive line coach as opposed to at the point of being a head coach and probably why he's never there because he's not some he's not somebody who has to make the decisions. He is very much an employee. Um and part of that would attest to the fact that this is something that he didn't begin to do full time until I believe it was uh, in or around his early 40s, because prior to that, he was practicing law, which is why I have a hard time believing that he had absolutely no idea whatsoever that any of this was going on in terms, and I'm not saying that he did, I am just saying personally, just Jonda, not saying that this is an absolute fact, it is just my opinion that it seems mighty odd, especially given that there would have been a substantial drop in income, especially from my understanding, he was, you know, a, a decently successful attorney to then being on the coaching staff, not the head coach, because I think that when Jen came on the show perpetrating with the rented chalet and the clothes and whatever, and it was Coach Shaw this and Coach Shaw that, and Coach Shaw can't be here because it's so important. He's so important. He's got to be at the university all the time. And, and you know, Coach Shaw, Coach Shaw, Coach Shaw, I think that people 
assumed, because I know I did as well until I did my own uh, digging, um, that he must be the head. And given the way that they're living, then obviously he is the head coach. Hell, he must be athletic director and pulling it. You know, this is huge university. I think it's University of Utah. Um, pulling in the big bucks, you know, like those big $1.5 million checks, like some of these uh, coaches, or if not even the coaches, like it certainly, you know, even athletic directors make the big bucks. But no, Coach Shaw is a member of the coaching staff, and I'm not saying that he doesn't get a decent salary, but it ain't chalet money. Chalet money comes from your wife also having a really, really good job or you all being independently wealthy above and beyond your jobs, um, her being a housewife like on the level of the Beverly Hills women or, you know, real housewives of Atlanta checks. And that's not the case because she was new to the show. So the money, especially when she couldn't even explain her job, didn't make a whole lot of sense. It does now. And because the money is making sense in relation to the scam being where the money makes sense, I don't know. It just It just doesn't pass the smell test for me. But anyway, one of the motions among many because her attorney, God bless them, they were filing motions left and right. They wanted the uh, court date moved because they said the government gave them so many documents it would take too long to go through. Now, I do believe they were probably papered with tons and tons of documents. We can talk about that in another case, how that whole thing gets real messy when folks do document dumps. But um they, the government was just like, no, no, we're not granting that motion, not granting that motion. So none of that went her way. Um, they even, even the initial, their motion for the date to be changed, no, didn't go their way. However, there is a couple of things that have happened, including one with the date, not because of Jen Shaw, but because of the court itself. First of all, there was a court date today, as a matter of fact, as it relates to the court date, the court sent out a memo letting everybody know that uh, given how things have been at the court as it relates to uh, COVID in particular, um, they will not have, they just won't have a courtroom in October of 2021 or the original October 21 date. I think it was something like October 13th. So the court date is being moved. Now, one of the things that came to pass uh, that we found out, which of course signals bad news. So it was like a good news, bad news thing for Jen Shaw. So, okay, court dates being moved. You didn't get it because you wanted it, but ultimately you got it, so who cares? But bad news for her as a result of that being, um, of the court sending that memo, we have a letter from Stuart Smith's counsel that was dated August 4th. And Stuart Smith requested that the court in the above reference cases, which are not actually listed under Jen Shaw because, or himself, 
but they're involved uh, as well, which is um, the Anthony uh, Cheadle case and Arash Katabashi case, because those were the cases that came up first. Um, one of them going as far back as 2017. So again, it's just unbelievable to me that this continued to go on. The audacity. So, um, so this tells you how long the government has been investigating. So, uh, as per the court's order setting the pretrial conference for today, or in response to that, uh, Stuart Smith's, and remember Stuart Smith's, Jen's uh, assistant, who was picked up at the same time as her, the, the chunky white guy who was on the show with her, they sent a letter to the court asking that the court um, excuse them from that court date because, and I quote, Mr. Smith is working diligently towards a resolution of his case. I am confident his case will be resolved without the necessity of a trial, and I hereby request he be excused from the August 10th hearing. Now, unquote. Now, layman's terms, what does that mean? My client is diligently working with me and the prosecution, the feds, to come up with an acceptable plea deal in this case. That plea deal is probably going to involve him diming out his partner, but I'm not going to say that. The bottom line is he is currently working out an acceptable plea deal in this case. Therefore, we don't need to come to court while y'all figure out a trial date and have me and, and my client have to pay for somebody from my office to come and stand around all day to figure out the court's calendar because by the time said trial date comes whenever it is my client will have already worked out a plea deal and may have even been sentenced by then layman's terms to all of that why is that bad news for Jen Shaw? That means your number one guy, your ace boon coon, the person who continued this scam with you, the person who had the same audacity that you did, is about to take a plea. Does that mean that he's going to drop a dime on you? Probably. They may or may not need him, but what it does mean is that he's certainly not going to be by your side co-signing anything that you or anybody on your behalf has to say. Because if he were to do that, then there would be no reason for us to make a little handy dandy plea deal with him, is there? So bad news for Ms. Shaw. Now, the other stuff that's, again, more clickbait that's out there about the fact that her attorneys resigned from the case, that's the one area where I'll say no big deal, quite frankly. So it's funny that the, I've given you actually more inside scoop into what is really bad news for her today than the stuff that's out there that, you know, has people thinking all kinds of other stuff. The reality of it of this is that Ms. Shaw had already hired, uh, uh, had already hired another lawyer a um, couple of months ago, late June, early July. I'd heard about this a minute ago. She had, uh, because she was initially dealing with some high-priced big boys out of this area from D.C. And I would suspect uh, 
in no small measure, probably their fees, <laughs> she was no longer um, able to pay for them and uh, maybe even meet with them. They're here. It's just a lot of work, especially in this case. So essentially, there has been a period of time that Ms. Shaw basically had two legal teams. It, and most of us, when we heard that she had hired another attorney, Priya Chaudhry, that chances were this was all just a matter of transferring things and her attorney, uh, her current firm, uh, Daniel Alonzo, did not come out of the case until they made the full transition uh, hi, DM. Until they made the full transition to um, to the new attorney. In fact, even in their declaration in their motion, they didn't put anything in here disfavorable to anybody. They basically said that everybody is set to do what they need to do. Miss Childry is up on the case. There's no objection from anybody. So this was coming. No big deal on that. So that is your information on Jen Shaw. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm sitting here pressing buttons by mistake. So that is your info on Jen Shaw. Nothing that, uh, you know, nothing that important as it relates to that particular thing. So now on to something else fun. We are going to talk about a former housewife, former housewife of Atlanta, Kim Zolziak. So I posed a question. Is Kim Zolziak, did she decide that she was going to start the next, <laughs> the next Nexium? And for those of you who may not know what Nexium is, Nexium is um, this really strange Hollywood cult. And it was, you know, one person, I think there are folks ended up going to jail. There was a woman that used to be on that Superman show that was on the CW. She ended up going to jail. It was a whole mess. The women got branded the whole nine yards. So Kim Zolziak Bierman, your favorite tardy for the party. We have no freaking idea why she had seven years on Bravo for her own show when nobody watched other than, well, being white, blonde, and maybe people were just the few people who watched were terribly fascinated with what she and her daughter were going to do with their faces next. So Kim has decided that despite the fact that barely only 200,000 people watched her show, that there's enough of you that if you paid $77 a month, she would still be Paid. So in fact, I'm going to pull my calculator real quick and I'm going to calculate it. So let's see if seven, if uh, 200,000 of you paid Kim Zolciak Bierman $77,000 a month, that would be $15.4 million a month for Kim. So if you want her to be really rich, then go ahead and do it because Kim is starting a spiritual academy. It is a private members only. I'm taking this directly from her uh, Instagram, a private members only community for people who are truly passionate about living their best life. It is for anyone who wants to increase their vibration and manifest their desires. Now, before I go on, 
I just have to tell you in case you don't already know. Now, for those of you who have been listening to me for a while, and even if you haven't been listening, you've been following and hanging out with us in the Fashion and Drama Diaries Facebook page where we post stuff every day. Don't forget to join over there if you want to stay up on the latest of the things we talk about, entertainment, gossip, all the stuff for the grown and sexy, as well as news and politics, then you will see the link in the uh, inf- in the information section. So let me tell you one more thing that I hate or that I have issues with. I hate the word manifest. I didn't have an issue with it before, but now that everybody has decided to manifest things, I hate the word manifest about as much as I can't stand white parties and wear black. Can not stand it. It is right up there with my hatred of Chia Pets. Do not even say it to me. It freaks me out. It's a whole other story for a whole other episode. So I want you all to hear it from Ms. Bierman's own mouth because, hey, who better to explain this to you than Kim? So let me pull it. This is from her Instagram page, Fair Use. She put it out there on Instagram. SpiritualAcademyOnline.com to become a member, and I'll see you this Sunday. Okay, here you go. I had to start it over. What's up, you guys? I am so excited to announce that our Spiritual Academy will be hosting its very first live session this Sunday, 8-8 at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our Spiritual Academy is a private members-only club. It's only $77 a month where you get access to tools and information on how to manifest your dreams, live your best life. We want people that are truly passionate about improving their life, whether it's their business, their love life, their children, etc. Nicole and I are super passionate about helping people. She has personally helped me so much. So we are looking forward to seeing you guys this Sunday. Head over to spiritualacademyonline.com to become a member, and I'll see you this Sunday. All right, so if you all want to make sure that you are spiritual and manifesting and, I don't know, becoming like Kim, then there you are. You've got it. Kim's got the Kim's got the spot for you, so go for it. Kim Solciak Beerman, I think I keep spelling her name wrong. Yeah, I want to put an extra Z in there when it should be a C. Doesn't matter. So... Is this the Nexium for broke people? I don't know. I'm just asking. I'm not saying it is. I'm just asking. But if you want her to make 15 mil a month, well, she may have to split it with this Nicole person. Okay, 7 mil a month. Hook your girl up, $77 a month, and go and manifest some stuff and wear white. Because if you want to really aggravate me, manifest some stuff, wear white, and get some Chia Pets. Okay, and finally, and we're going to do another deep dive on this. I just wanted to do a quick, very quick um, mention of the fact that yesterday we talked about the Andrew Cuomo situation, and it looks like he has defied what pretty much everybody, including myself, thought as it relates to him resigning, and he did indeed resign. Now, he did it in, as everybody says, a very uh, Andrew Cuomo kind of way. He resigned. He didn't necessarily admit to anything. I don't expect him to, because at this point, he has no idea 
um, where this situation is going to go. And I certainly understand this. If I was advising him, you don't know where this is going to go. I wouldn't necessarily make any admissions either. If they want you out of your job and you're going to resign, then I would just resign. As far as any admissions, until you know, unless or until you know that there is any civil cases coming down the pike, which they're very, uh, very well maybe, in addition to whatever this criminal piece is that was just filed by one of the women involved, I wouldn't admit to anything either. I would, if I were going to resign, it would essentially be I'm going to resign because everyone, number one, I've lost the confidence of everyone around me, which means I can't effectively govern, including my own advisors. Again, it means I can't effectively govern because I've lost um, authority. I've lost the high ground, even though no one ever really felt like he was ruling from moral high ground. People just felt like he was a bully, quite frankly. But um, and, and that's coming from someone who has actually liked this man. But I'm just saying uh, reputation wise, that's pretty much the way people look at look at him and, and how he does things. He kind of bulldozes his way through. I mean, that's that's just what he does. He's a very rich man. He'll be fine in, in relation to that. So that's not an issue as well, unless he gets hit with an onslaught of civil suits, which again is um, yet another reason not to make any admissions at this point. And right now you are speaking to you are listening to the lawyer in me. So let's be clear about that so that later on when we're having one of many discussions I'm sure we'll have about issues involving women and how they're treated that I don't have a bunch of people going, but you said blah, 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 blah. I'm a lawyer. I have to defend my client. So I'm talking about my imaginary client, Mr. Andrew Cuomo, who should make no admissions. The, um, quite frankly, uh, like I said, uh, if you've lost everybody, I've lost the um, ability to effectively govern. Also, um, it will be a constant distraction uh, as it relates to his political enemies, of which he has many. And then to add insult to injury, you've even got the president of the United States and several members of Congress saying that you should resign. Um, and, and, you know, the largesse of New York, the importance of it, or at least everybody from New York in terms of the, how they feel about the importance of it. I know New Yorkers, y'all think you're super, super important. I'm from Jersey. I know what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, so I think he was just backed into a corner and that was just the best move to make. And, and quite frankly, whether you love him, hate him, like him or not, even just as a leader, like a good game of cards, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know, where, uh, know when to run. I don't think that this is a running thing at all. I think he's walking away on his own terms because he has to. Uh, there really wasn't much he could do. Uh, with this other than just to let it go. I think there was, you know, I don't know how much time there was left on his term, but he'll be fine. If the only thing that this really does seal the deal on, although hell, we did have Donald Trump as president, um, is a potential presidential run. And I 
definitely have some um, some thoughts about that as it relates to political enemies that don't have that don't start rep with repub and end with akin uh, as it relates to how dangerous the, uh, some individuals feel that Cuomo is. And it's not just to the Republican Party and, and to Donald Trump, et cetera, but it is also to any Democrat who wants, you know, things to stay a certain way. If you don't want somebody like Cuomo or Cuomo himself anywhere near the White House, then you need to neutralize him. And this was a good way to do it because like with most things, this being one of them, whatever happened between him and uh, you know any number of these women, whether it's this 11 women or others, None of this stuff was new and none of it was anything that people didn't know. If folks can analyze every time that President Biden leaned in to say hi to somebody or, you know, squeeze somebody's shoulder and say that he was some kind of old perv, then there's no way that these same individuals and watchers and as well as people in New York uh, did not know that there may have been, and again, these are all allegations, some potential impropriety between Andrew Cuomo, who was a single man, probably looking for, you know, what single men do, and doing it uh, while on the job. So, and that's not to excuse anything, because if he did it, he did it. But I'm simply saying that it wasn't a secret if he did. So it's mighty. So the timing is uh, is rather convenient for all parties uh, involved. Um, but again, if you did it, you did it. And when, whether it came up now or later, if you didn't do it, then of course, that's a whole other situation. But if you did, well, time to pay the piper. And paying the piper isn't always convenient. It's kind of like being pregnant or in my case having to get a, having to get another car it's never exactly when you want to do it so <laughs> i'm going to play now for those of you who haven't heard it his uh it's only a minute and 11 seconds his resignation and then we're going to wrap up means new york loving and i love new york and i love you and everything I have ever done has been motivated by that love. Maybe too much love. And I would love. Want to be unhelpful in any way. And I think that given the circumstances, the best way I can help now mm -hmm. is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. And therefore that's perfect resignation. Because I work for you. And doing the right thing is doing the right thing for you. Yep. Because as we say, it's not about me. It's about we. Kathy Hochul, my lieutenant governor, is smart and competent. This transition must be seamless. We have a lot going on. I'm very worried about the Delta variant. And so should you be. But she can come up to speed quickly and my resignation will be effective in 14 days. 
Okay. I think that was the perfect speech for what he was doing. Um, Resigning, not again, not um, saying I am specifically culpable for what I am accused of, but I am resigning because I am a leader. And a good leader knows that what is most important is that what we are trying to accomplish here, whether it's being governor of New York or head of the Y, whatever it is, those things need to happen and things need to function. And if this issue regarding me is so much of a distraction that it damn near stops us from being able to do what they do what we do because I can't effectively govern primarily because I have again lost the confidence of the people around me then I have to step aside I'm still great those who love me will continue to love me so those who have a problem with me f you I'm still the man. I'm still Andrew Cuomo. Drop the mic. I'm going to go somewhere. Be rich. Get some chicks because I am single and do my thing. And then if you have an issue with it, kiss my ass. The end. That was my Just Jonda translation. Now (laughs) that you've had my translation, you've had my legal stuff, you've had all of that, I am going to go because... I hadn't intended on getting on today and I still have other shows to do this week because there's so much going on. But of course, you know, I love doing this and hanging with you. So as always, thank you very much for hanging in there with me tonight or any other time that you are listening. Thank you to the people um, on the FNDD Fashion Drama Diaries for always supporting and sharing the information. Make sure that you share this podcast. We're trying to blow it up, y'all. And um, listen, especially if you have iTunes, go on iTunes, listen, hell, I don't care if you just let it run, but <laughs> listen, give it five stars and certainly give a review and share it, share it, share it. I am on all of the podcast platforms that you love. Apple, iTunes, well, Apple, iTunes, Acast, Amazon, Google, um, Spotify, all of them. If you, if I'm there, uh, if you're there, I'm there. So certainly do that. And you've got the email. Let me know if you've got any tea. Do know if I don't say it, if I don't talk about it, it's because I couldn't substantiate it. You have any legal questions or anything legal you want me to talk about, just like I did um, with the issue, I guess, about two months ago with the landlord tenant, with the not landlord tenant, but with the vandalism issue with the landlord, certainly feel free to ask me those questions and we'll see if we can work them into a show. Also, if you're an author, I'd love to read your book. If it sucks, I'm going to tell you that though, but I won't tell the listeners, but I'm certainly going to tell you. So at any rate, if ultimately, if you're thinking about it and want to talk about it, chances are I'm thinking about it and want to talk about it too. And you can usually find me on every platform, even if I'm not talking about it here. I know there's some things I need to catch up with on Instagram. You'll see all of that updated by tomorrow, including yesterday's show. Other than that, 
you all have a marvelous night tonight and many, many happy tomorrows. Okay, that came in a little loud. That sucked. Bad transition. <laughs>